0: Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sienna. I've got my partner, Tina Christensen. We're the founders of Oops! Minnesota, and we are so happy to have Casey Raffin with us today. Hi, Casey.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, Casey is a freelance pianist who lives in Minneapolis. He's performed both locally and internationally. He's really incredible, won some competitions. He also plays with the Minnesota Orchestra and the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. And I know I personally have worked with Casey on a couple of gigs with different organizations. He's everywhere, you find him. Um, He is also a member of the saxophone piano trio, Trace. And he has an adorable cat named Nico. And Casey is amazing on Facebook. Like if there's ever someone to be friends with, it's Casey, he's hilarious. So. Thank you, Casey.
1: Yes, my pleasure.
0: So our first question and how we're kind of starting all these conversations is how did you get started down the path of becoming a pianist?
1: Are you talking about like when I first started taking lessons?
0: Well, yeah, but I guess more professionally, like what led you to choose this as a career over something else?
1: So I was thinking about it, you know, I'm from Two Harbors, which is not a big town by any means. And so, you know, I was kind of like a big fish in a small pond. And so, you know, president of band and choir, and then just, I never even gave it a second thought that I would major in music. And so I ended up majoring in music at the University of Iowa and never had a second thought about it. And then I got my master's because it's just kind of what you do. Then I just, I I, I didn't want to get my doctorate for various reasons, and so then I was like, well, I'm either going to move to Chicago or Minneapolis, and I chose Minneapolis because it's closer to home, two harbors. Um, I mean, it was a little rough, and I did technically apply to Starbucks, and I did the drug test, and I was interviewed with HR and everything, and they were like, great, we'll have you come in tomorrow, and then then I was like, actually, you know, I think I can do it, you know, I think I can make it work as a freelance pianist because I was like barely scraping by because I had like a church job, and that was about it. And then that obviously made the HR person very mad, but then ever since then, it's been like slow, but, you know, you, you gather, you know, a reputation and people and things like that. And so it's kind of been that way until the pandemic.
0: And you call yourself a freelance pianist. Do you use any other terms?
1: Uh, Not really. I, if that's a question about using like the term accompanist or anything like that, I don't. I don't personally have a problem if somebody says that, you know, I don't consider myself an accompanist, you know, I just consider myself a pianist because I play piano. Um, yeah, we
0: had a conversation with another pianist, and it was about the collaborative pianist versus freelance. So there's a lot of terminology that kind of floats around. And I wondered if there was any particular reason for, you know, what you call yourself and why?
1: No, nope, uh, just pianist. Well, actually, yeah, I guess I am a little... Uh, I do believe in the term pianist because it's like I play piano and sometimes it's in the solo capacity, whether it's in a concert or at my church job or whatever. And then, you know, if I'm playing a boom, chuck, chuck, chuck kind of piece, then I will say it was really great to accompany you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, if it's something like, uh, you know, a piece for saxophone and piano and the piano part is way harder than the saxophone part, you know, then... I will call myself a pianist. I don't know. I'm not really too picky, I guess.
0: Interesting. I like the shade of like sometimes using it. If you deem the repertoire isn't difficult enough for you.
1: (laughs) Well, it's not that it's not difficult. It's just that it's so boring, but anyway.
0: (laughs) And you don't just work with singers. You do a lot of um, brass player accompanying, correct?
1: Uh, Well, in a normal non-pandemic world, it was a lot of saxophones actually. Um, and actually not a lot of singers. I started off with some singers in the cities. It's it's especially in a place like the Twin Cities, people fall into, maybe, maybe it's just pianists, but people fall into kind of niches and roles, which is great if you get a certain niche, you know, because saxophone repertoire, like I mentioned, is very hard. And so it's like, if you're the one person in Boston or Minneapolis or whatever, who plays all the saxophone rep and people know that they can just count on you to do that or a teacher knows that they can count on you then you kind of got it made in the shade, you know, forget the original question, but in a normal world, it was a lot of saxophone, starting to do some brass, specifically tuba, which is a lot of fun, love tuba, you know, and I'm not saying that because they pay the bills, but, um, <laughs> uh, and then actually during the pandemic, um, Professor Sally O'Reilly violin, she has um, had me come to her studio to play for a handful of students, which is great because, you know, no one is breathing and spitting globules into the air. So it's like, and you know, Professor O'Reilly, she's 80. And so if she's like sticking with it and teaching, then it's like, sure, you know, we all wear masks and everything and just do that, so.
0: Is there any difference playing for a singer or a tuba or a saxophone in your experience? Yes. Tell me, <laughs> be honest.
1: Uh, okay. I'm talking to two singers. Um, there there are, um, yeah, so there's like a lot of funny things that I could say on Facebook just to garner likes, you know, and stuff like that. But um, like a combination of funny and truthful would be saxophonist, you know, if a piece says that the eighth note is 83 beats per minute, that is what they'll practice and that's what they'll do. And if you go one click faster or slower, not not great, you know, or unless they tell you, you know, and things like that. Um, tuba. It it's just takes a lot of, from what I understand, this is still relatively new, like two years, but it just takes a lot of air and the embouchure, you know, it's like you can only play for so long. And so a lot of it is just like, you know, practice spots and everything, but you get like one run through of the either the recital or the piece or anything, and then it's like, okay, that's good. A singer may only do run, one run through, but it's for different reasons entirely, you know. <laughs> But yeah, no, singer, I I used to play with a lot of singers in college, you know, because I was uh, an accompanist or a studio pianist for a voice studio down there. And so I'm, I used to be really familiar with the rep, but now it's, you know, it's not so So
2: why, why saxophone and tuba? Did you seek these instruments out or did they find you somehow?
1: No, yeah, they found me. So, uh, so this is how it works. Um, You know, you move somewhere and it's, it's it's more who you know, and so somebody, Stephen Page, who's now a sax professor at UT Austin, he sent an email to the professor here at the time, Eugene Rousseau, who's like a saxophone legend, and Stephen said, oh, you know, Casey's your guy, and so just because of that, it's been like saxophone and just that, you know, it's it's really who you know and who hears you play, and then tuba. I think because of the saxophone thing people got the weird idea that I like hard music you know which is which is not true you know it's just that I practice it and it's not a great reputation to have but it is a you know it's a reputation.
0: I think that's a huge honor to be recognized as someone who plays hard music well.
1: I don't know about the well. Or maybe
0: that you're crazy <laughs> enough to agree to do the hard
2: music. Yeah
1: I, yeah exactly I think it's I think it's more just that I say, okay, you know, let's do it. Oh, there's a lot of like uh, philosophical debate about it where it's like, is this worth it? You know, is it worth it for anybody, you know, to do all this (laughs) stuff? I don't know, but you know, whatever, you know, again, it pays the bills. It's a job.
0: It is a very competitive career. And you mentioned it was hard to get the network built up so that you had enough regular clients and work that you could support yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But what is it that's kept you going through all of that?
1: I was thinking about that too. So like at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I'm kind of like a gloom and doom. I I can't enter like these gloom and doom phases. And I don't know any kind of serious professional musician who hasn't thought at least once about switching, you know, careers, if not like once a year. So (laughs) for, you know, various reasons, it could be a pandemic or it could be, you know, just where you are in your life. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I started, you know, learning Java programming, thinking like, well, my dad is good at like that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and I'm a nerd in general. So it's like, how hard can it be? You know, <laughs> um, but you know, it's just like, I I was going along and taking these classes independently. And then I was just got burned out pretty quickly. I mean, that was kind of one moment of affirmation where it's like, well, I, I really feel like I need to do music. And of course that's, that just means that maybe Java programming is not for me. You know, it could be anything else, but um, uh, what, what keeps me going? I don't know. I just always feel anytime I stray, have those moments where I'm like, I don't really want to do this. Then I kind of stray either mentally or maybe physically, I guess, if that's possible. Um, and then I'm like, nope, got to do it. You know, so it's just a matter of like, I have
2: to I've do heard it. people say that, you know, they try to do other things, but they just can't do anything but music. And it's not because they're not capable. It's just because that's where your heart really is whether or not you have these doubts you just you venture out you always come back and that seems to be the place you're in
1: yeah yeah um yeah it's just a nagging feeling where it's I don't know even if I'm broke you know it's like just gotta do it and so you know some days I rue being you know a little broke but
0: you still get by right oh yeah we're all hanging in there. I know it's been a huge hit, just the pandemic, not being able to get together to make music. And have you been doing a lot of pre recorded things for people, like rehearsal recordings? Yeah,
1: especially last semester, um, there was a lot of recording going on, both um, like music videos for church. And then, you know, some students at the U, I did actually do some recitals at the U um, live, but then some people requested recordings, uh, including people, you know, from out of state. And that was cool. I just, I love music, but making those recording accompaniments, if you will, um, especially the really boring ones are very, I would, I, I say this, but I feel like I would rather work at like at a grocery store or something, you know, because it's so lifeless and it's so not why I do this you know I don't do this to sit in my apartment recording jump 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 you know and imagining in my head that somebody's either singing or playing along with me you know it's it's not rewarding so I don't know I don't know maybe people got that um, got that from me because now I don't really do any of that anymore
0: (laughs) Maybe people just adapt it and they're not really using them anymore. I know me personally, I tried singing along with one of those things and it's like your technique kind of goes out the window. It's like your body is counting and wanting to keep in time to what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. So there's no freedom of movement or breath because it's a constant checking. Am I with it? And for you, it must be so weird to be like, I think they'll breathe here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really awful. And so um, playing music with somebody is, you know, it's kind of like a sensual experience, if you will, you know, where you're like breathing together, you're moving together, you're doing stuff together. That's what I miss. And so if if I'm doing it, you know, by myself, not as fun as doing it with other people. Have you been
2: able to find any rewarding musical experience in this pandemic? Like, is there anything you've learned about yourself as a musician or you you feel like you're going to take forward into the post pandemic world?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, things that I imagine probably everybody is feeling is that, you know, the the fewer chances that I've had to make live music with other people, it just feels so expletive good, you know. And then, you know, I go back in the car and I'm just like, oh, thank God, you know, that was like, it just, it fills me up. And, you know, even um, the last time I saw Professor O'Reilly in her condo, which was like last week, yeah, it was like the day after Christmas, it was December 26th. And she sat down in her chair, you know, and she's 80 and she is wearing the mask and everything. And she's like, oh, it's just so good to be in the same room. And she's like, I can't do a Georgian accent, but um, I was like, I completely agree. It's just like a feeling. um, And so I'm gonna try to encapsulate that feeling if and when we enter a non-virus world, you know, so I can maybe open that bottle occasionally when I'm feeling really giant question mark. So 2020 obviously was very bad. For everybody, you know, despite all the bad events like George Floyd and obviously the virus and lots of deaths and everything with all this time, you know, and then work kind of coming back piecemeal, I've, I've mentally I've been in a good spot, you know, apart from the anxiety of watching Minneapolis in Shatters and then, you know, the virus, um, like mentally I've also been in a good spot. And so it's made me kind of think a lot, like what was giving me the most stress? Because like I was really stressed out a couple of years ago or a year ago. I don't know. That's what I need to figure out. Once things start returning back to normal, hopefully there will be kind of like a biofeedback thing where it's like, wow, this is the thing that was really stressing me out. And maybe I can do without it, you know?
0: And maybe it's just a switch in perspective where like, it's like an injury. Once you're not able to do something, that's when you really want to be able to do it and you appreciate it. So I think a lot of us will carry that into even gigs that we don't really like, (laughs) where they're frustrating and it's, there's no communication, and you're worried if you're going to actually get paid for it, (laughs) but in the moment of the performance, you'll be like, I remember when it was just me singing to my cats, so I'm just going to appreciate this for what it is. Exactly,
1: yep, 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 I have a steady job, which I won't necessarily mention, but um, when it started in the fall semester of 2020, I was just like so elated, I was like, oh my god, this is great to see you all, like, let's do it, you know, and
0: that's really, um, see, we have to be positive and all this stuff. Cause it's so easy to, to get down about it all. Mm-hmm. And I know that for us, you are a, a surprise contribution to the launch series. Not that we don't love you and what? want you, but you <laughs> filled in last minute for a pianist who had a, wasn't feeling well and didn't want to risk if it was possibly COVID, thankfully it wasn't, Um, but I give you a call and I'm like, hey, you available to do this thing really last minute. How is that a different experience for you? Is that, do you approach the music differently? Do you have any memories from the recording?
1: So first of all, I I actually like, I was thinking about that too. I like to do that. I, I really like to do kind of the last minute stuff. I don't know why. In like a cynical way, I think it's because people forgive me more if I don't do as well of a job, but it's true, you know, you know, people are more forgiving and then usually the money's a little bit higher and I like the stress. I I like that kind of stress. Also, sometimes the pay is a little bit better because it is last minute. You know, if if it's like a saxophone piece that I played a million times, it feels like really like, you feel like a baller if you just walk in and you're like, yeah, I play this piece and you're just like, wham, you know, and everybody's like, wow.
0: And then do you remember anything from accompanying David?
1: So I was just getting used to what he was doing, even though we had so little time, you know, to like get used to it. And I don't think I've played for David before. I may be misremembering that, but, you know, I was trying to build a whole relationship in like 24 hours and be like, oh, this is what you do, great. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, remember a lot. I remember it was fun to go to Wells Piano, you know, another thing where it's like, oh, this is great. You know, a, a gig. (laughs)
2: um people yeah
1: people and doing it on real instruments instead of my digital piano
2: what I love is that you are you are so open about the fact that this is work and that we are legit professionals who need to make money so many people like to cloak it in the the mystifying like I am an artist and I do it because it feeds my soul but I really like how you were just so direct about like I need to feed my person too
1: (laughs) yeah I mean that that could go into like, what are the problems facing our industry? Um, and I mean, it's a whole kettle of fish that maybe I could talk too long about, but it's, yeah, I think some people treat it as like, that, you know, it's, it's supposed to be like, you know, Chopin, he, when before he taught piano lessons, he had his back turned and he would instruct people to put money on like the mantle of the fireplace, you know, because he didn't even want to touch money, you know, cause he didn't want to talk about it. You know, it was just something that was expected. And I totally understand that because I absolutely hate money, but, you know, as a professional musician, you need, you need it to live, you know, and if you need to work at the grocery store, have a day job or whatever, um, then that's not time that you could have spent practicing. And so, you know, you need the time to practice, you need the time to relax, you need the time to perform, you know, it's all the things. Yeah, that's, that's something um, if we want to talk about problems is that some people expect, Even professional musicians that are like twice my age, they kind of in so many ways, either passive aggressively or not, they kind of say, you know, I can't afford to pay you anything. And so could you do it for free? And it's like, actually I can't, you know, like I need to get paid something, you know, and it's, it's a little rough, but yeah.
0: That's been a thing too, with, with COVID as companies have reached out and be like, it's really great exposure for you if you would do this. Yeah. And I'm like, well, like, yeah, it is. I can't argue with that. I'm not doing anything else, but should you really be preying upon the people that are hit the most right now, you know? know, and you don't want to say anything because you don't want to be like a squeaky wheel or, you know, burn any bridges. And so you're you're put in a bad position. And I think that's where it's important for when people are in positions of power, they use that to help the people below them. You know, there was the first gig I ever got was from a conductor I worked with. Mm -hmm. And he offered this via email. And I replied, I was like, is this what you would pay me or what I would pay you? Because there are all these pay to sing gigs. Uh And he was like, oh my god, this would be me paying you, like, it is so bullshit that singers have to pay to be on stage, and he was really upset at even the idea that I'd be paying to do it, but that's an entire market of companies for opera singers and musicians are paying for the opportunity to be on stage, you know? Yeah,
1: Yeah, and um, also, like, Sienna, what you said, you don't want to burn bridges necessarily, and so that's kind of, like, it's part of the game, you know, I hate that there's a game, but I think there's a game in every facet of life, unfortunately, and so, yeah, sometimes you have to play that game, you just have to be good at, like, reading people, or whatever, or knowing people, knowing reputations, and it's, like, you know, not that you want to burn bridges, necessarily, but it's, like, if you know that it's, like, you know, this isn't going to lead anywhere, then it's, like, but, you know, if it's somebody who's, like, a mover and a shaker and things like that, then it's, like, oh, of course, you know, like, I'll help you out, you know, but, It's playing the game.
0: It is now. Have you ever produced your own sort of project? Because it seems like a lot of your gigs are people coming to you with things.
1: You know, I would love to have my own like little baby project because I don't know the most I'll ever have is cats. You know, so it's like so before the pandemic, you know, I had paid off my student loans in twenty nineteen. Yay! Yeah, and so then it's like, well, what do I kind of want to start? You know, doing. As far as like maybe putting money towards or you know just a lot of energy and so i was thinking (laughs) i had the audacious thought that you know what the twin cities needs is like a really good like chamber music consort or whatever you know but then like right when i thought that i saw like a million ads or like a million people you know being like oh i'm starting this chamber music group blah 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 and we call ourselves you know like red door ensemble or whatever you know like i don't know what people call themselves um, but then I was like, actually, there are a million um, of these things. You just have to look for them.
0: I think what's nice is that people also have one-off ideas and it's nice to invest in just an idea as opposed to starting an entire organization for something, because that's a huge you know, process in itself. So I think Tina and I were trying to create that framework so that people can get funding and assistance to develop these projects that normally it would just be a hundred percent on you. Cause I know I've had these brilliant ideas. I mean, I've had brilliant ideas, but I haven't followed through with any of them because I'm like, oh, I wouldn't get paid. I'd have to find a pianist and pay them and then the space to rehearse. And it just becomes too many steps. It's too daunting to get it done. Um, So yeah, we're hoping we can create that framework to make it just a little bit easier. Um, to make some of your crazy ideas reality. So start writing them down. My crazy
1: ideas. Isn't this a singer-oriented kind of thing?
0: Yeah, well, but you can have a proposal as long as it features singing. Oh, okay. So even you as the pianist, or if you wanted to play an organ, I don't know what other side gigs <laughs> you have there. But as long as something features singing,
2: anyone can apply for the project. Okay. Within those parameters, is there anything you could think that you would dream of doing?
1: I don't. I don't know if I have any dream projects. With singers necessarily but i think i could think of something
0: i know what it is it's gonna be <laughs> a backing track of aria recordings that it's all operetta so it's all boom that's jung, jung, right jung, yes jung, my favorite a whole album yes good well we talked about this just a little bit but what are some of the other issues that you see with the industry or with our professions or things that you've experienced as a pianist yeah
1: oh i had a whole, i should have written them down but now i'm blanking what are other problems um, apart from the major worldwide issues that plague us, um something specific to classical musicians and performers that are being trained is that when you're in college, one is being trained for a very specific role or position that at least in as far as pianist goes, you'll probably not attain, to be honest. It's like the 0.001% of pianists will get that kind of, you know, orchestra, concerto, solo recitals around the world kind of thing you know, um, because in college, you're trained to play basically one recital. Maybe I'm speaking, you know, out of turn, but you're trained to play one recital for the year. You polish it and then you do it and then you do the next recital. You know, they don't teach you anything about like music recording or music production or jazz or um, uh, how to use music software. Well, maybe nowadays they do, but they didn't when I was in college, you know, and um, going back to jazz, like, I don't know anybody, at least in the Twin Cities, you know, who does music professionally, who doesn't have to dabble in another form outside of classical, you know, probably jazz, or it could be Broadway, or it could be, you know, whatever, they just don't prepare you for it. It's very old school what they do. And um, I think, I think colleges, I'm going to shift the blame to them temporarily and say, you know, you need to literally or like talking about taxes or anything, you know, it's just like a whole world of information that you know, when you spend four years in college, they prepare you for a very tiny amount, you know, and that's maybe because I'm, you know, 32 and it's, I still feel a little bit of the burn. It's less than it was before, but you know, I, I'm just like, maybe you guys, you know, could have done a better job. Maybe other colleges do like Berkeley or something.
0: I had the same experience as you, that it was not an adequate education for what the career actually is. You're being trained like A house musician and those jobs really don't exist anymore, Um, and it's it's a shame because they are just raking in the money and sending you out to figure it out for yourself. And I think of my undergrad graduating class. There's maybe three of us still pursuing singing, and no offense, but like the degree doesn't really prepare you for anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of ways if you're good at marketing yourself, you can convince someone of how the skills that you got, you know, public speaking, you can probably get into marketing fundraising. um, But it's an uphill battle from there because you don't, you don't get it. You're trained as music day one. I didn't take like any other extracurricular classes except languages, which were a part of my, my degree program. Really? You didn't have to take Uh, gen eds or anything? I had to take like one, but they were very, the way that they grouped them, you could get away with taking things to count for something else. Like, My friend took a class on earthquakes and that counted as math um, and science. And it's like, okay, I guess you're, there are numbers of how bad earthquakes are. So that's a, a, that's math. Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What something that you said reminded me too is, and this is, we're getting into like a cynical hole, which I don't necessarily love to be in. Well, actually I do love to be in it, but not everyone loves it. So, but too many people get DMAs, you know, their doctorates and either they shouldn't or that's the reason that I didn't get one is because it's like everybody was getting one. And then even my most talented friends who had DMAs, they weren't getting jobs, you know? And so it's like, great, you have a DMA.
0: How much money did that end up costing you? Yeah. it's Yeah.
1: yeah I was like, I just want to play piano. So I moved to Minneapolis.
0: This is a place that you can do that too. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing gig economy when it's actually open. Right. And, <laughs> and yeah. I hope that it'll, it'll go back to that too. But I also fear that, you know, people's fees are going to be lower because companies have been hit hard. And so that's, yeah. you know, an argument they're going to use. So I feel like we're, as a musicians going to be feeling this for a couple of years now to come. Yeah, it could be, I didn't, um,
1: I didn't think of that necessarily. Cause I guess a lot of the time I just charge my own fee.
2: I know that a lot of pianists, uh, well, a lot of artists in general, like struggle to set their own fees. Cause usually it's like, here's a gig that I'm offering you and it pays this much. But when oh, you yeah. put yourself out there and like decide what your time is worth, that is a really tricky thing to do. Is it yeah. something you struggled over for a while, or or is it something yeah. that you feel really adamant about?
1: Yeah, I do. No, I do struggle with it all the time because, you know, there's, I, I I haven't thought about this before, so I may screw it up. But like, it's like a quadrant. You know, there's like, you know, people or wait. What do they say like the three m's money music and mates like it a gig should encapsulate two of those things, so like mates being friends or like people that you want to play with um so it, it's things like that you know there are you know high paying gigs with people you love to work with and respect, and the music is great, you know like those are what we want, and you know then you can change it however you know you can imagine
0: i've never heard of it that way of like the there are three components that go into a gig that i will consider if i take it and if you know the money's not good but it's good music and good people you know i'll consider it so i think that's a, a perfect way because each situation is different and i know tina and i have talked a lot about payments because they're they're all over the board in the twin cities um for performing gigs and that's i think because of the variety of companies that we have and the variety of work, because sometimes a gig will involve a lot of rehearsal or, you know, no rehearsals or a lot of performances, one performance. It's, it's all a, a way in game. Yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> this may be only funny to like three people, um, but I saw Jenna Yellen, her, the new um, uh, treasurer, uh, the secretary of the Fed or something like that, um, for the incoming Biden administration, like her speaking gigs for the banks, like Bank of America, they only only paid her like $40,000 to speak last year. But then, you know, JP Morgan paid her like 150,000 to speak or something like that. And so this was released into the world. And I was just like reading it, you know, just like befuddled because I was like, I can't believe anybody makes this much money for a speaking engagement. Um, but then, you know, funnily enough, it reminded me of my own thing. It's like, yeah, sometimes I only get paid You know, not forty thousand dollars, but you know,
0: it's like forty dollars. right.
1: Exactly. And so it's like, well, if if Janet Yellen has to put up with you know these fee fluctuations, then so will I.
0: I was hoping that instead it would inform your your fee has gone up. Now it's forty thousand per appearance. Right. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's 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 amazing that anybody gets paid that much. But
0: my dad was always like, Sienna, isn't the point of going to school so you'd end up earning more money? So that's why you get more degrees because then you get more. And I'm like, oh, Dad, no. business world maybe that is not it in the music world you know a lot of times you you have to have these degrees because it's it's gatekeeping to keep you out of auditions and to get to the next level so yeah
1: Yeah. I mean a a degree don't get me wrong like if you want to get a degree because it gives you more time to like harness your craft and to learn repertoire that's great and everything but for me like I wanted to play piano like I said my friends weren't getting jobs when they wanted jobs which is like, that's the reason I would get a DMA is because, you know, like, I would want to be a professor, you know, so it, it just wasn't for me.
0: And there's not to say you want, might not go back to it. Someday. It's very it true. I
1: have people doctorate. harassing me, um, because they know that I like to use big words sometimes, you know, we'll see, you know, when I, this is totally unrelated, well, not really, but, uh, you know, when I was in school you know, and 20 years old or whatever, and I was playing for people, the people who seemed to be the most, like, together as a person were the non-traditional students who were in their 30s or 40s, who were just, like, they would walk into rehearsal, you know, we would rehearse, and it would go well or it wouldn't, you know, and then they would just be like, okay, that's great, I'm gonna go have a beer or something, you know, whereas, like, when you're 20 years old, if something doesn't go well, you're like, oh my god, my life is falling apart, you know, and so just not, older non-traditional students always seemed just way cooler and just like have their life together and everything like priorities.
0: I think they have the knowledge to divide themselves from their job. Yeah. And I think that musicians especially are kind of put in that, that box. I know people assume that my husband and I like serenade each other all day long because we're both singers. Yeah. It's like, no, when I practice, I don't want him at home. I know. <laughs> I don't want him to be know
1: him <laughs> My roommate, you know, we're, we're actually not living together in a month because he bought a house, but my roommate, he has always said like, you know, I wish you wouldn't practice with headphones. Um, And I'm just like, I don't think you understand how tedious it is and like how self-conscious I am too, especially when I'm just learning something, you know, it's like, it's pretty rough, you know, but I remember one time I was practicing the Stravinsky Violin Concerto a couple years ago in the basement for whatever reason, without headphones. And then, you know, an hour later or something I saw on his Instagram, he had taken like a video, you know, of me playing and the sound of me rehearsing like one bar Stravinsky over and over. You know, and he was like, it's so cool to have a musician roommate. And I was like, oh, God bless you, because I don't know how the hell you think that that is relaxing at all. But, you know,
0: it's like psychosis to hear the same measure over and over. And it's like, but I know that's what I have to do to practice. Practicing doesn't sound good. It's not supposed to sound good. It's supposed to be the woodshed, you know.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Tina, before we enter the rapid fire section, do you have any follow up questions for Casey? I think I think we covered it and then some so our first question people would be surprised to know that you are blank
1: oh it's not going to be rapid um (laughs) they would be surprised i don't know my life is an open book that's my answer i mean really
0: people would be surprised to know that they can ask you anything and you will answer it honestly and now you have to hold up to that standard for the rest of your life easy done Do you have any like pre-performance rituals or routines? No. Nothing. You could like right now go play a concert and be fine.
1: Well, practicing is a pre-concert ritual, but. (laughs) um, Okay.
0: Do you warm up?
1: uh, I mean, I actually, you know, it's not a ritual, but if I'm cold, I'll put my hands under hot, hot water. if If a venue has hot, hot water. Um, I guess Glenn Gould did that, you know, and I don't think it's a, a, a eccentric or erratic or something. I, it really works. There's something about, it just loosens my joints.
0: So you run your hands hot, hot, under hot water. Yeah. Are there any like things that you, it's minutes before you go on stage, what are you doing backstage?
1: Um, trying to trick myself into a form of relaxation or, you know, a lot of the time, I don't know, it's, this could, we could get into the psychology of it all but i don't get nervous a lot anymore unless it's you know something that's like you know when i did play when i was the sugar plum fairy with minnesota orchestra on chalice, my heart was like out of my body i was like it was just so in like i was so effing nervous you know but then you know if i play a sophomore tuba recital or something i'm usually trying to talk down a very nervous 19 year old and I'm being, I'm just saying, you know, just BS. That's like, everything will be fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> That's usually what I'm doing minutes before a recital, trying to talk down the other person.
0: So you don't, you're not infected by other people's nerves?
1: Oh, no, no, because they're just kids usually.
0: Um, so COVID restrictions are lifted. Everyone has the vaccine. What's the first thing you do?
1: Probably just, I don't know, go out among people, travel to New York, go see shows in New York. Um, I, I will, I will go to so many things that I just took, uh, for granted, you know, like I, I haven't actually been to an SPCO concert. Um, I'm going to go to a lot of those, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big theater person, you know, so I would usually be going to most, all the major productions. Actually, that's not true. Um, I will go to even more major productions in town. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'll do. I'll go to restaurants, love restaurants, but I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of fluctuates nowadays, but.
0: And takeouts are good, pretty decent, yeah, you know. Could be good. But there's something,
1: you know, just like a concert where it's like being among people and not your home, you know, and having a fancy glass or whatever, you know.
0: Just the experience. Mm-hmm. If you could give a duo recital with any artist living or dead, who would it be?
1: Oh, uh, well, I, the one musician I really, really love. And if, um, if I could have her musicianship, I would easily take as Hillary Hahn cuz she just every recording she does I think is amazing and I just bow down and light candles um and so I I would say that but I would also be too nervous to function you know so if I if I could eventually work my way up you know uh, as far as like famous you know more and more famous and then eventually I gave a concert with Hillary Hahn I would be like over the moon you know but if you said you have a concert with Hillary Hahn next week I would be too nervous to do it
2: so I know this is your rapid fire round but I have to jump on that because I love Hilary Hahn so much and she's just she seems like such a nice person as well and I as a musician find it really hard to listen to music and enjoy it without getting like technical and really over it and Hilary Hahn is one musician who will always always help me forget everything and I just get sucked into what she's playing yeah
1: exactly it could be that she's just perfect as well. You know, like that's why we don't think about the technical <laughs> issues. But yeah, like her Bach album that she made when she was 17, it's like, okay, you know, I'm done.
0: Casey doesn't need to play it now because she perfected it.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, it kind of feels that way. But
0: What's one item on your bucket list?
1: I feel like I do have a bucket list, but I can't think of it right now. Uh, bucket list, jumping out of an airplane. I always think that maybe that would be fun. I think I would do it. I think, I think I would be nervous, but then I'd be like, screw it. And then I would do it. And then if I died, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I would just be telling myself. If I had to do it, yeah. I would say, okay, I'll, I would die from this height. So it's okay.
2: you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what's on your nightstand right now?
1: Oh, well, my desk is my nightstand. So there's a lot. But um, there's a white noise machine and earplugs because I'm a very light sleeper. I I don't feel bad about it, you know, like I turn on that white noise machine, I put it in earplugs, and I sleep like a baby. Uh, And then there's some books, um, and a light, and actually that's kind of about it.
2: Can you tell us one of the books that you have?
1: Yeah, so local author Charles Baxter, he um, just published a book in November, it's called The Sun Collective, and... um, Something that I'm learning about Charles Baxter's writings is that a lot of them take place in Minneapolis, which is really cool because the first chapter is about, you know, the main character is on the light rail, you know, going to the, you know, the mall and, you know, talking about the lakes and Minnehaha Falls. And then the Sun Collective is like this kind of weird culty group that meets in Northeast Minneapolis where I live. And so it's just kind of, you know, it's charming. What is another book? Oh, uh some Bukowski I'm trying some Bukowski figuring out if I like him Yeah, and just I don't know just random stuff that I say I'm going to try to read but it's mainly the Charles Baxter right now
0: that's such like a rich inner life when you read a book with about an area that you're familiar with yeah because as you're reading it's just the most vivid mental pictures I bet
1: yeah exactly and then if I was a reader or if I was a writer you know, I would probably do the same thing because, you know, I've read and watched a million movies and I've read a lot of books that are like take place in New York or mainly just New York, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, it's it's cool, you know? So I would do the same thing because it's like, yeah, Minneapolis is good. And it has its own quirks too that can be mysterious, if you will, so.
0: Especially this cult. <laughs> um, what is something that you're proud of?
1: Oh, proud? Well, I think of, you know, being gay because pride. Um, and actually a college professor told me this he he said this, and he was like, "You shouldn't be proud of things that you had no control over, you know." So whether it's being gay or if you were born in Minnesota, like um, even though I have a lot of Minnesota pride, so proud, you know, should be like accomplishments. I am proud, you know, that I'm a professional musician because you know it's it is a lot of work. It's a lot of just like I shouldn't roll my eyes. It was a lot of children's choirs and things like that, you know, that you know it paid those bills the first few years and just things that I didn't I wouldn't really want to go back to. Um, so yeah, it, it takes a lot of work.
0: They're still slogging through. And some days it's not a slog. It's a joy. Do you have any advice for your younger self?
1: Oh, tons. I have so much advice. I just, I wish I could somehow convince my 20 year old self of, you know, certain things, but I know my 20 year old self would not listen. So it doesn't even matter.
2: That's a valid answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's true. I, I, you know, cause everyone has to forge their own path. So maybe that's why time travel doesn't exist because it wouldn't, it wouldn't change anything.
0: I always tell myself like regrets are pointless, unless it's informing a current decision that you're making, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't change the past. So don't even try to, but there are things that we have learned from those, you know, experiences. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you'll come up with a lot more and you can send them off to me and we can, we can post those. Oh, maybe like, like sure in a blog post or something.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can do that. <laughs> That'd be fun. Advice I wouldn't have listened to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you have anything you'd like to promote, actually? I know that you are a, an amazing pianist, and if anyone has any projects, they should approach you. And if you like them, or if you like the music, or if they're paying you enough, you will do it. And if you turn them down, people are now going to question which one of those they did not satisfy.
1: <laughs> well, so some projects that you mentioned, like I'm in um, Trace, the ensemble, you know, with the saxophones. So Jose, he just released his first album, which I'm on, you know, pretty much almost every track. And it features all female composers, you know, from Fannie Mendelssohn to some premieres. It's good. So you can go onto Jose's website, which I think maybe will be in a link somewhere.
0: We'll definitely do that. Yeah,
1: And then, um, so hopefully, I mean, we were planning to record with Miguel Zinon, who is a Grammy award-winning jazz saxophonist who lives in New York. We are gonna, you know, fly him out to record. a a piece that he wrote for us so but who knows with COVID you know everything is kind of like we'll see if it happens
0: well Casey thank you so much for joining us and for stepping in last minute on these recordings you did a fantastic job and I know David Walton appreciates you just as as we do and I look forward to working with you again in the future and keeping people apprised about what's going on with you around the Twin Cities and hopefully they can catch you live